Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. And you guys thought it didn't happen. See, that's why I had to make sure. I told you about last week that it really, really happened. Um, And he said, Jimmy Kimmel said they should start a club. Well, I want to tell you about the charter member of the club. Uh, His name was Jonah. Uh, In Hebrew, they call him Yonah. Um, So if you want to impress your Jewish friends, say, my pastor's preaching on Yonah, Um, the story of Yonah. It's a powerful story. And I said last week, you know, if you can't get over the big fish, you're going to miss the whole point of the story. And in fact, it never says whale in the story. I know we grew up talking about Jonah and the whale. In the Hebrew, it just simply says big fish. There was a word for whale. It was used in Job, Leviathan. Um, But again... You know, I don't have problems with the miraculous when I read about in the Bible. I'll tell you why. If God created natural law, then God can suspend natural law whenever God wants to. So that, that's not a hang up for me. But the other thing is, don't, don't get lost in the trees and miss the forest. Because so many times the Bible speaks to us in metaphor. Speaks to us with images. You know, I said last week, I don't have to literally be swallowed by a whale to know what it feels like to be in the belly of the whale at the bottom of the sea. I've been there. I know what it's like to cry out like we'll see Jonah doing next week or a couple weeks from now in prayer in the midst of darkness. So don't miss that. But Jonah, I have learned, you know, I think we, we think of it sometimes as folklore and what does this have to do? I guess it's a cute story for the summer. The more I have really, really gotten in depth with this prophecy, the more I realize, I want you all you hear this online and, and comment in the chats with Pastor Kurt, the more I realize that this is a story for our time. Tony Campolo, um, one of my friends and mentors, he once said that the Bible, the gospel, is eternally contemporaneous. I love that because this story is eternally contemporaneous. And I hope as I'm preaching about this today, you'll, you'll find some connecting points. Jonah is different, as I said last week, than all other prophecies. All other prophecies, the prophet is called, and then the prophet kind of retreats from the story. And what we do is we hear God's words spoken through the prophet and applied to a specific historical context. And when we know those two things, then, then the story can begin to speak to us. The prophet almost becomes irrelevant. Not so with Jonah. Jonah is the whole point of the story. This is a story about a prophet who ran from God. And what did we learn through this prophet? In fact, the opening word in Hebrew of this prophecy, prophecy is the word vayehi. There's another one too. So I try to give you trivia stuff. Vayehi, V-A-Y-E-H-I. What it means is, and it happened. In the old King James, it would be interpreted this way. And it came to pass. Did any of you grow up in the King James like I did? And remember Luke, second chapter said, and it came to pass. That in those days a decree went out from Augustus Caesar. What's Luke doing? He's telling the Christmas story. 
See, that was a term used by Ehi to where a rabbi would sit down and say, let me tell you a story. It's narrative writing. And Jonah's the only prophecy like this. It's a story about a prophet, right? And it's a story broken into five parts. I'm just giving you this, just a little teaching piece. This might be a helpful slide for you. If you ever go to the theater and you reopen a playbill, what do you have? You have like the scene one, the setting, a street outside of Anatevka that's in Fiddler on the Roof. Who appears in the scene, right? That appears uh, Tevier and the Fiddler. And Jonah reads like that. It's a, it's a story in five parts. Take this out online as well. In the first three verses, the setting is the land of Israel. The characters on stage, the Lord and Jonah. Scene two, at sea. The characters on stage, Jonah and the sailors. That's what we're dealing with today. Scene three, in the big fish. Now we're back to the Lord and Jonah. Then finally in Nineveh, the place Jonah does not want to go because of his prejudice. But God finally gets him there. And now it's the Lord and Jonah and the Ninevites. And then in three weeks, I'm going to close out with chapter four. The scene is outside of Nineveh, and it's the Lord and Jonah. It's, why did you share that, Chip? What does that have to do with anything? But you see, it's kind of the Lord gets with Jonah and speaks to him. Jonah then disobeys and goes out in the world. Then the Lord gets back with him one-on-one and speaks with him. Then Jonah goes out and tries to be a prophet, and he's not a very good one. And then the Lord brings him back and speaks with him again. See, I grow up with my kids reading books, and I used to call this the story of Jonah and the whale. That is so wrong. Like the whale is only in like seven verses, or the big fish. Do you know the Lord is in 39 verses in Jonah? You know why that's impressive? Because you know how many verses are in the entire book of Jonah? 44. God is in 39 out of 44 verses. This isn't a story about Jonah and the whale. This is a story about Jonah and the Lord. And it is our job to put ourselves into the story as Jonah. You're Jonah, I am, and the nation, the people. Israel knew this because if you read Hosea and later prophets, they start referring to the nation of Israel as Jonah. They identified with this. And if we don't identify with this prophet, you're going to miss the whole point of the story. The story of Jonah and the Lord. And these verses that we read about, why does Jonah flee from the presence of the Lord? Two reasons and they go together. Fear and hate. Fear and hate. And hate produces fear. What's he afraid of? He's afraid of the Ninevites. Nineveh was the capital of Syria. They were arch enemies of Israel. Sennacherib, who made Nineveh the capital of the nation of Assyria, had attacked Jerusalem at one time, almost conquered it. Jonah is afraid of the Ninevites, but he also hates them. Why? Because he won't even go and give them a chance. God says, look, I want you to go over there. I know they're your enemies, but I want you to tell them, yeah, there's a lot of violence. There's a lot of bad things happening that the Lord says they have 40 days to repent. Jonah doesn't even want to do that. He's afraid. See, if we learn about the story of Jonah, I'm going to say more about this. He's not afraid that they won't repent. He's afraid they will. And this is what keeps him apart. And I think this is a very relevant message for our time. Because our time right now is filled with a lot of fear and a lot of anger and a lot of hate. And God is dealing in this passage with two kinds of fear. Now, if you read this second passage, I'm just going to blow through it. I think we got a bunch of the scriptures up there um, that I want to blow through in the second chapter, where it says, you know, that the Lord, uh, a storm came up, uh, a great wind of sea, right? And what happened? Then 
the mariners, the sailors were afraid. They start to cry out to the God, go to the next slide, and then they start badgering Noah, or jo- Noah, yeah, Noah's had a boat too. Jonah, um, Jonah, they're saying to him, what are you doing? What's going on? And, uh, you know, wake up, and Jonah cut, says, I'm a prophet, I'm running for God. Then what? They were exceedingly afraid. The Hebrew there is terrified. And so at the end, they finally throw Jonah over. They don't want to. And then all of a sudden, the storm quits. The thing they were afraid of, so it should have said they all cheered, right? But no, it says then they feared the Lord exceedingly. What's going on here? It's a narrative about fear. Fear is at the beginning of the story, fear is in the middle of the story, and then there's a new kind of fear at the end of the story. And I want to talk to you about unhealthy fear, the fear that can hurt us, and then the fear that can heal us. Okay, so the, the, the fear I, I shared up there, that slide they had up for me, fear appears in the response to external pressure and as a result of internal feelings. Remember that response to something external or a result of something internal. And what I'm going to say to you is the first kind can kill your body. The second kind can kill your soul. There's an external fear. There's storms that we do see. And there's an internal fear. There's storms that we don't see, right? External fear. The sailors are having this external fear. They see the storm. They're afraid. They're worried they're going to die. External storms come. I don't know about you, but that tragedy in Florida, Surfside, with this condominium falling down in the middle of the night while people were asleep and loved ones now hurting. and It's just broken my heart. It's a storm. We don't understand it, right? And when storms come like that, I don't know about you, when I first thought I got afraid, like, well, that was my children, or, you know, I'd be worried about that. You know, that's, fear is natural. In fact, sometimes it can actually help you. It gets your adrenaline going. I was listening to the testimony of a native woman, I don't know if you saw it, who came face to face with a grizzly bear and survived in Alaska. I've been up there, Jack. Them bears are big. And you are not, like, deer, you know, in the forest look at you. You are lunch, right? And, uh, but her fear triggered a, a healthy reaction that saved her life. So it's very natural to be afraid when external things come. But what happens is, why we get so afraid is we are reminded that we're mortal. See, I've said in this church, the sin beneath the sin beneath all the sins is we want to be our own Savior and Lord. That's the story of Adam and Eve. And if you don't believe that's a true story, it's a true story because it's the only story that explains the human race to me. All my other explanations don't work. It's the story. We want to be in charge. We want to be God. But when an external storm comes and a condominium collapses or a hurricane hits or a biopsy turns up negative, suddenly we're afraid because we realize we're, we're mortal. We're not God right? We're triggered. Uh, I read a story about an actress, um, you know, uh, what was her name? Julia um, uh, Lewis-Dreyfus, I don't know her, but I saw she had written an article. She won two Grammys this past year, and the, the day after she won the Grammys, her doctor called and told her that she tested positive for breast cancer. And she said, and I was up on this mountain of exhilaration, and suddenly I started laughing hysterically and weeping uncontrollably. And she wrote these words. She said, that fear, you know, you're going to die, it doesn't go, completely go away because you've been face to face with it. But you know what? This is her words. We walk through our lives so oblivious 
to the fact that our lives are going to end. We don't really consider that, almost ever. Maybe that's a good thing, but it's a cold, hard fact, and it's a strange thing to reconcile what was happening. She was coming face to face with an external storm, and she was realizing, like we all realize, that we're all terminally ill. We're all finite. And so what does that trigger? It triggers us to get religious. Now, before you start cheering, be patient. (laughs) Because even when storms come, even people who are not religious, and we've seen this, politicians or leaders on all parties or whatever, that never go to church or really don't, aren't people of faith, they'll tell us to get religious, thoughts and prayers. Right? It's just a trigger. Um, We can't help ourselves in those moments. Mark Twain was not a believer. Mark Twain was a cynic. If you read his story, he did not like Christianity. He did not like Christians. But toward the end of his life, he recounted that there was a tragedy. He had a, uh, it was either his wife or daughter became very ill and he was very fearful. And Mark Twain said, to my distress, I prayed. That's what he wrote. I prayed like a coward. I prayed like a dog. What's he saying? I didn't want to pray. I don't believe in God. But there was an involuntary reflex that triggered, right? Because we realize we're not God. And you just, it's something within us that begins to cry out. Before COVID, pre-COVID, there had been only one uh, period of time where there was an increase in church attendance in America for 50 years. You know when that was? 9-11. Lasted three months. You know when the second big spike was in church attendance? March 22nd, 2020, when we all went online, right, across the world. Easter Sunday 2020 was the most people in worship in the history of the United States and maybe the world. It was the largest Sunday we've ever had in the history of Garfield. We had well over 6,000 people. By 2021 Easter, half. (laughs) See, it's our... Our involuntary reflex to get religious, which points to there's something bigger than ourselves. But the problem is, we don't go to the depth of it that we need to stay there. So that's the external fear, and it can kill your body. But there's an internal fear, and this is the one that can kill your soul. The internal fear is the storms we don't see. And that's the story of Jonah. This one one is more subtle, but it's going to run through the whole book. Jonah has an inner fear. What is his inner fear? It's a fear of the other. It's a hatred toward people who are not like him. It's a bias. It's a prejudice. It's it's what creates bigotry. You are against other people. Why? Because you're afraid you don't measure up. Okay? And that's the kind that's the kind of fear. Here Jonah was. He's dressed in religion. He's a prophet. And he is running in the opposite direction of God. Tarshish. It said he went, set out to Tarshish. I was interested in my study to learn that if you're standing in Israel and Nineveh is that way, Tarshish is that way. If, if Nineveh is north, Tarshish is south. If Nineveh is east, Tarshish is west. I mean, almost on a 180 degree line. He is absolutely running in the opposite direction of God with all the dressings of being religious. I don't know, like you, a lot of the events of the last year, they've broken our hearts. January was 6th was tough. We know the events, the violence, etc. But you know what broke my heart on that day, if you were watching that day? I saw three signs, and it's all that violence that said, Jesus saves. You know, really? But that's Jonah. He's got a Jesus saves shirt on, and he's running. <laughs> 180 degrees in the opposite direction. 
leaving the land of Israel, which means he was, he was out of covenant with God. And the Jonah is warning you and I, we can come to church every week. We can pray every day. We can give to the poor. We can go serve in the homeless shower. And we can be 180 degrees running in the wrong direction from God because of something internal in my heart. Jonah was, this is for Pastor Scott. Got to give him one nugget. Jonah, I knew he was here. He'll probably appear on the screen if I know the tech team back there. If you're online worshiping us and Scott's head comes on there, pay no attention to the man on the screen. No, Pastor Scott is the biggest Star Wars geek I've ever met. Um, He beat me in a sing-off in a Obi-Wan Kenobi costume, and I'm still bitter. See that stuff in your heart, how how it can kill you? But, but Jonah was becoming Darth Vader. He was. If you know the story of Star Wars, Darth Vader, the dark side. Darth Vader wasn't always Darth Vader. He was Anakin Skywalker. He was a great person. He was filled with the force. He was in goodness. But Master Yoda, remember Yoda? He had a word for Anakin. He said, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. I sense much fear in you. That was Yoda to Anakin Skywalker. He, they, uh, Frank Lucas stole that from the book of Jonah. He did. Because that's what God was saying to Jonah. Fear leads to the dark side. And I sense much fear in you, Jonah. You have a hatred in you, Jonah. You have a darkness in you. And, and I'm worried about that. Hebrews chapter 12 says it this way. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root, root of bitterness, grows up in you to cause trouble and defile many. So how does Jonah deal with his inner fear? The same way on the surface we deal with our external fear. He got religious. I'm a prophet. In fact, I showed you last week, 2 Kings, uh, Jonah's mentioned, King Jeroboam II did something very evil in northern Israel. He started conquering and killing people who weren't doing anything wrong just to expand the borders. And I said, what did Jonah do? He blessed it. He prayed for it. See, if you can draft God onto your side, or your political persuasion, or your agenda, that's a very powerful thing. It's also an extremely dangerous thing. Take it from Yoda, take it from Jesus. Okay? And that's why we see oftentimes people, you know, using God to validate their hatred. It's happened through the years. Do you know the Ku Klux Klan, the KKK, the greatest domestic terrorist group in the history of the United States, responsible for the death of more Americans than ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and the Taliban combined? Including 911? And you know that the KKK runs their meetings out of the King James Bible. And they baptize infants during their meetings in the name of Jesus into the clan. Yeah. Yeah. Don't tell me that wasn't the Holy Spirit. And that child is saying, not me. God bless. Whoever that child is, I need to hug them after this service. I want them to lay hands on me and call forth those things that are not as though they are. I'm, oh, I could go to preaching now. <laughs> Only got 11 minutes. Stay gone. But what's happening? This is an evil. This is something we got to guard ourselves against. 
Adolf Hitler loved the passion play and Oberammergau went to it every year because he felt it justified. The Jews killed Jesus so I can kill them. Do you see how this stuff works? That's the one that can kill your soul. And so it reminds me, I'm going to skip ahead, what not to do in response to fear. What not to do, it's going to surprise you, don't become religious in general. Don't just go through the motions. Don't just run to church and ask God to fix your problems. C.S. Lewis said when you do that, what you're doing is bargaining with God. You know, Psalm 46 says, the Lord is our refuge, a very present help in times of trouble. My spiritual mentor said, that's all fine and good, but when we go to God, what we really want is the present help and not God. We just want God to, that's why these guys are on the boat. They're praying to every God they know, right? In fact, it's almost comical. They go down and wake up Jonah and say, hey, do you have a God? Can you pray? Because ours aren't working, right? And that's just religion in general. C.S. Lewis said that, you know, I knew in his autobiography how he went from being a skeptic and came to be a Christian. I didn't know how he got to be a skeptic, though. It happened, Pastor Terry has a similar testimony, if you've ever heard her, that C.S. Lewis's mom was dying as a young child. And he heard in the church, well, if you pray good enough to God, God will answer your praise. And he prayed to God would heal her mom. And, and God healed her mom, but she, she didn't live earthly. He healed her eternally. C.S. Lewis didn't know that. And as a child, he said, I gave God a try. But he wrote in his, he said, but my problem was, at that age, when I went to God, I didn't go to God as a savior, as a judge. I went to him as a magician. See, and when the 911 comes and COVID comes, too many people run to God as a magician. Spare my life. Spare my country. Oh, you did that? Great. Um, now back to our regularly scheduled programming. Right? Or if you just become religious in general, where God hates all the same people you do, that, that's a cardboard cutout God, right? And the problem, just like the people in that day and age, everybody had a God. Like there was gods of everything. Uh, that's what uh, polytheism was. It wasn't just one God. There was a God of everything. Fertility, a God of career, a God of farming, a God of the nation, a God of the city, a God of this, a God of that. And you couldn't worship all the gods, so you pick which God you want to worship. And if you've seen the movie Gladiator, they cut them into little idols and carry them around their pocket and burn incense. The problem is, and you think we don't still do that today? Come on, somebody. Everybody worships something. Some people worship convenience, some comfort, some comf uh, country, some constitution, and that's just the C's. I could go through the entire alphabet. And see, the problem is when we worship God like that, we're carrying God around on our hip pocket. How can God help you in a storm? He's going to go down with you. If you're worshiping an earthly God that you can carry around, that God, you are defenseless in the storms. That God will, you can bless that God and drown with that God. That's why I always say, be sure, be careful what you make your God. Make sure your God can heal you when you get sick, bless you when you are cursed, raise you when you die. Don't make small things your God. And that's why you don't just get, you know, religious in general. This isn't about being religious. Here's my point. It's about being relational. See, what is Jonah fleeing? I talked about this last week. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and Jonah fled. The word flee in Hebrews, in the, in the Hebrew language, if you read your Bible, people flee one thing. You know what the one thing they flee? Relationship. So Hagar fled from Abraham and Sarah. Okay, Jacob fled 
from his brother Esau. So Jonah is fleeing, not from, not from God in general. He's fleeing from God in particular. God in relationship. He said he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. I told you last week that literally means fleeing from the face of the Lord. Jonah knew God existed. He confessed that. They woke him up. Who do you serve? The God that's everywhere. God of heaven and earth and the sea. Like he knew, he, he's a religious guy, man. He can quote the Apostles' Creed better than you. Right? But he, he doesn't want to be relationally with God. He doesn't want to be with a God that's going to lift him out of his prejudice. He doesn't want to be a God that when he goes and preaches a message and his enemies repent, his God is going to say, love your enemies the way I have loved you. That God is too intense for him. But that's the God that can save us in the storm. Because when we know God relationally like that, when we know God has a face like, I love the little girl in the thunderstorm one time, and she's crying for her dad, and her dad went in and laid down in bed with her, and she quit crying, but the storm was still going, and he thought she was calm, and he said, honey, I'm going to go back to my room, going to go back to bed, but don't worry, Jesus is with you, God is with you. He started to get up by the bed. She grabbed his arm. She said, yeah, but I need somebody with skin on them right now. <laughs> in the beginning was the word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being through Him. Apart from Him, not one thing came into being. And the Word became, put skin on Him. We've seen His glory. The glory is the Father's only Son, full of grace and full of truth. That's the one you want with you. That's the God over the storm. That's the, that's the true and greater Jonah who wasn't just thrown overboard into the belly of a whale, but was thrown out of heaven into the depths of hell and did it gladly for the joy that was set before him. Jesus jumped overboard and endured the cross. And that's why God says the solution, the solution for fear is in one little verse that you'll find in 1 John, short letter, but a powerful letter, 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Some translation says casts out fear. Who's one the Bible talked about driving out, casting out? Somewhere where Jesus walked into a social system that was taking advantage of the poor and he drove out the money changers who were creating hatred and division. Somewhere I read Jesus met a woman named Mary of Magdala possessed and tormented by seven spirits and Jesus cast out the demonic, the ugliness within us. Who has perfect love? Only Jesus the Christ. I had somebody this week, I'm not trying to tech on them. If you're listening online, believe me, I love you. If, if, I'm not, I don't even, I just got to tell it. But somebody was talking to me and said, there's somebody got very, very angry at me and were mad at me, a decision I made, something in the church, something I said. It's always, it's, you know, I think you said this, I heard that is a powerful thing. But anyhow, um, and, and somebody, they kind of went to a staff person, they were upset and they said, well, you know, I love Pastor Chip, but... And I won't fill in what was on the other side of the butt. And I was so blessed because I thought, man, here's somebody who's mad at me and still wanted to say they love me. But I didn't like the butt. <laughs> yeah. Have you had people say that to you? I love you. But. I'm sorry. But. I love you. 
if we have a God in heaven that doesn't love us but, that doesn't love us, Jesus said, I don't love you if, I love you just because. That's perfect love. Jesus wasn't bragging when he said, greater love has no one than this, that one would throw themselves overboard into the pit of hell for their friends. He was just telling the truth. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh Lord, how I need you. Didn't we sing that today? That's what, that's what happens. And what happened to these sailors was here was Jonah. Jonah is a bigot. Jonah, he didn't even like the sailors. They were pagans. They were a different ethnic group than him. They were, they were a different religious group. That's why he's down the belly of the ship. He don't want to be around them. But suddenly he starts coming to his senses a little bit. It's going to take the whole book of Jonah for it to happen. It takes a whole book of life for it to happen to you and me, somebody. Come on. That's why I relate to Jonah. And Jonah comes to his sense. He says, you know what? This, you didn't deserve this. I did this. He, he's fessing up. He's repenting. He's owning up. And in a little selfless act, the first time this self-seeking, self-serving bigot says, thinks about somebody other than himself, he says, throw me overboard. And what do the guys do? They throw him overboard? No. Because when people act selfless, guess what happens? Other people act selfless too. And they rode hard trying to get him to shore. Then they say, oh God, you know, he says so, he's your prophet. We'll throw over. They throw him over and all of a sudden the sea is calm and they're more afraid than they've ever been. What's going on here? They should have been saying, God, because they're in that boat saying, God, don't kill us. God, don't kill us. God, don't kill us. God doesn't kill them. Now they're even more afraid. It can't be the same thing. It can't be the same fear. What, I, what they are developing, I want to say this, and I'll, get, I'll wrap this up. They're developing a holy and a healthy fear. They are in awe of what God does through one selfless act. And that's just Jonah. And if they had the resources to develop this healthy fear, what resources do we have? When Jesus says Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, but I will go into the ground, into the grave for three days because a true and greater Jonah is here. I calm the only storm that can finally take you out. I have quenched the only fire that can eternally burn you. I have, I have calmed the only tempest that can make you drown. And that ought to give us some calm. If the, the sailors got it from the calm of Jonah, how much more calm should we get from the true and greater Jonah who came to save us all? And we can develop this kind of fear. It, it's not just a, tra it's not a cowering. That's not what the fear of God is. It's a healthy fear. The psalmist said it this way. I love it. Psalm 130. It said, there is forgiveness with you, O Lord, that you may be Feared. Some translations say to be revered. The awesomeness of who you are and what you've done for me with no buts and no ifs and just because, that triggers in me an awe and a wonder. And I have a presence to accompany my fears. Let me close with this little quick thing. John Newton, if you know him, he's the author of Amazing Grace. What you may not know about John Newton was he owned, he owned slaves. He sold slaves. He was a slave ship captain. He was running slave trade from Africa to the, to the you know, North America um, and South America and making a bunch of money off it. 
And one day, John Newton, captaining his ship with a cargo of slaves, was in a terrible storm. And he made a deal with God. He went to God as a magician. He said, God, if you, if you save us from this storm, I'll get baptized. He was a non-believer. Guess what? He got saved from the storm. And he went and got baptized. He got religious. But he was running in the 180 degree opposite direction. Because he still sold slaves. He wrote the song, How Sweet the Sound of Jesus' Name, in a slave port amidst the sound of chains and whips. Running in the wrong direction. Covered up by general religion. But then the church got close to him and William Wilberforce and others. And they said, God's grace towards you means you've got to change the way you do your life. And you can't sell slaves and own slaves and claim to be a Christian. You're running to Tarshish, not where God wants you. And at that point, Newton relinquished all assets in the slave trade, paid all reparations, died in poverty a servant of the church. And only after that happened did he write the words, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, not just from a storm at sea, but for a storm that could destroy my soul. And he wrote a little ditty. I'm going to put it up on the screen. It's a very non-known hymn. And if you want this, I'll put my e-note on Sunday. This is one of the ones that I turned to Newton. Uh, they asked Newton at the end of his life, what have you learned? He said two things. One, I am a great save- a sinner. But two, Jesus is a great savior. And he wrote these words. His love in times past forbids me to think. He'll leave me at last in troubles to sink. By prayer let me wrestle. Then he will perform with Christ in the vessel. I smile at the storm. I hope that gives you hope this week. In Jesus' name, amen.